Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. And today we're looking at when does character matter with two specific examples, Tiger Woods and LeBron James. So today we are here to talk about when does character matter? And there's this great quote that Sarah, you and I both love from Maya Angelou that says, when people choose to show you who they are, believe them. Absolutely. Guess who we're going to talk about today, folks? Okay. Two, like, really influential people. Two people that have also been in the news a lot. And that's Tiger Woods and LeBron James. So if you saw recently that Time Magazine named its most influential 100 people for the year, both of these people, both Tiger and LeBron, were named. But how are they influential? And the bigger question that we'd like to ask, and in particular, why does everyone seem to be okay with Tiger Woods now that he won the Masters again, minus the whole treating women poorly and cheating on his wife repeatedly? Why does everyone think he's the GOAT? Uh, and, <laughs> and for all of you, <laughs> the greatest of all time. I will claim that I had no idea. And it took me a few readings of seeing it to really put that together. Okay, I'm admitting right now, I am not a sports fan. Okay. But we are still friends. I've known this to be true about you (laughs) for the 20 plus years in which we have been best friends. Right. Okay. So anyway, the GOAT, greatest of all time. Why does everyone think Tiger is the GOAT, but not LeBron? I don't think it's just sheer number of championships. Our hypothesis, and we don't think we're alone in this, and we know we're not alone in this, actually, is that Tiger has kept his mouth shut with regard to social justice issues, but LeBron hasn't. And for because of that, the world sort of sees them differently. So curious where you listeners weigh in on this, but let's have this conversation around why this all might be. Because so here's what I do know. I do know Tiger Woods is an amazing golfer. Okay. And I know that Tiger is not his first name. I did not know this until recently, but Eldrick is actually Tiger Woods' first name. He was a serial cheater who admitted to having numerous affairs, reports are of upwards of 120 women while married to his wife, Elin Nordegren. 120 women. Can you imagine? So can I do the lame joke or is everyone going to groan in unison? He's obviously not a man of integrity as evidenced by those actions. So can a tiger change his stripes? (sighs) Anyway. Okay. I'm sorry. Thank you for the groan. I guess my question is, how is that influential? So before we even dive into this, this is just a problem I had with these rankings, because according to Time magazine, although appearing on the list is often seen as an honor, Time makes it clear that entrants are recognized for, quote, changing the world, regardless of the consequences of their actions. So it's clear that it's not that there's an actual influence in the greater human sense, because even negative influencers under that sort of definition would be recognized. So say we started the next hate group, we would be influential and what glorified? I don't know how that actually works. That doesn't sound very awesome for Time Magazine to have it like that. And so I wonder if there's room for there to be some social pressure on media like Time to take ownership of that definition, because they can influence who these allow myself to introduce myself, they can influence who they define as influencers. (laughs) So I don't know, that was just a something that was A little bit frustrating to me, because I don't want to glorify necessarily people who don't have integrity. That's something that's very important to me. And yet, for sure, he's an incredible sportsman. I know that he used to rock the golf course all the time, had a really bad spell when all the stuff in his personal life was going down 
the toilet and then he just recently came back. That's what I know about Tiger. Right. And I want to preface this too, as we delve a little more into Tiger and thoughts around Tiger, is that when Tiger was first coming up as a golfer, and as Sarah knows, I've been a sports fan my entire life, I was like, yes, finally, there is this guy. And not only is he an amazing golfer, but this guy is multiracial. He's not only half black, he's half Asian. I mean, because when do you see a half Asian athlete when we were growing up? Pretty much never. So I was all Tiger all the time. And he was our age, roughly. He was, you know, in college when we were. Just everything about me was all in on Tiger. So when the entire cheating came out and all of the details around it, it was rough for me. And so, you know, when he came back for the Masters, did I want him to win Maybe. I mean, who doesn't like a comeback story? And if I'm being perfectly honest, but I think that the treatment of him after winning the Masters and how this is like a second coming is misplaced. That's interesting. So as a sports fan, when you say you were gutted and all the things happened, how does that manifest? Like you just don't watch him play anymore. You just don't pay attention to the news stories. What does that mean as a sports fan to be disappointed in somebody? I think, you know, it's one thing to be disappointed in their performance, right? That would be one thing. But for me with him, because it goes back to that Maya Angelou quote, I think that it wasn't just, you know, there was some rumor of something. It was very clear that he had disrespected his wife in so many ways that we probably don't even know quite all of the ways even. And that in a larger way was how he viewed women you know, if we want to extrapolate it out, which I totally did. And I think that that was really hard for me to reconcile, you know, how good of an athlete that he was and how much he was doing for the sport and perhaps by diversifying the sport, even if it was somewhat unintentional on his part, to how he treated women and the larger issues of character there. That's interesting. And I think a lot of stuff comes up about character and the greats, right? There's the Michael Jackson movie that came out. And how do we process it? Does that mean that we should never listen to his music again, even though it was incredibly influential and forward thinking and amazing because of questions about his character? I mean, I don't know. Again, this is just a conversation around it. I don't know the actual answer. But I think this second part of what you pointed out to me about Tiger that I did not realize and the difference between how he and LeBron James are approaching social justice I never would have made that parallel, but I'm curious, like these examples you are about to talk about, I was like, huh, I had no idea. Right. And part of this stems from a conversation with my husband and part of this comes from The Root, which really discussed what, how conflicted this writer who was black was about black people supporting Tiger after his master's win. And To directly quote this article, it says, I was confused by all the black love Tiger was getting when Tiger has always been Tiger and also mentions his birth name, but he has taken a Clarence Thomas-like vow of silence on black issues, particularly with regard to this administration, because as it stands, Tiger is not passive in this current administration's maneuvers. He's complicit. As with most racists, Donald Trump uses famous black faces to tout his allegiance to black people as a whole. And Tiger has allowed his friendship with Trump to be a part of this. And the article quotes from a specific interview that Tiger Woods gave to a reporter named John Branch of The New York Times, in which he says, I've known Donald for a number of years. 
We've played golf together. We've had dinner together. I've known him pre-presidency and obviously during his presidency. And I mean, obviously, if you're on a first name basis with him, you probably have some connection to him, right? And then this reporter asked Tiger at times, especially 2018, when this interview was done, I think a lot of people, especially people of color, immigrants, are threatened by him and his policy. What do you say to people who might find it interesting that you have a friendly relationship with him? And Woods replied, well, he's the president of the United States. You have to respect the office. No matter who is in the office, you may dislike, dislike personally or the politics, but we all must respect the office. And finally, he was asked when he was asked if he had any comments about the state of race relations in the United States. He said, no, I've just finished 72 holes and I'm really hungry. Hmm. So, I mean, I get finishing 72 holes and being really hungry. But I think what he said or what he didn't say in that interview is really telling. That is interesting. I mean, and I do believe that you have to respect the office. I firmly believe it, regardless of who's in power. I mean, I tell my kids there's no disrespecting. We have to, you know, if we want to incite any kind of change or have conversations, you have to do that with respect because you have to be able to be proud of yourself and all that sort of stuff. But yet, as you say, there was a lot of non-comment on the specific issues that he was being asked about, regardless of his relationship with the president of the United States, especially considering he's multiracial. Right? Yeah. His mother is originally from Thailand. She's a mixed Thai, Chinese, and Dutch ancestry. His father, who I think we all saw because Tiger had a very close relationship with his father, was a retired lieutenant colonel and Vietnam War veteran who was mostly African American with traces of European descent. So he was definitely part black. And we have had a half black president of this country. You have, have half black children. <laughs> Correct. So, you know, being multiracial and, you know, getting to the top of your sport is amazing in the United States. And that's not to say that Tiger hasn't faced a lot of discrimination getting there or that he has to spend every waking moment talking about social justice. I think if you remember in 1997, or you might not remember since you probably weren't watching golf in the same way I, I was, was in 1997. <laughs> right. But there was this golfer named Fuzzy Zoller. And at the Masters, he walked through the tiny little group of reporters and TV crews that gathered every day during the Masters between the clubhouse and the first tee. So he stopped to talk to them, obviously, because he was very chatty. And he looked at the scoreboard and he said, pretty impressive. That little boy is driving it well and he's putting well. He's doing everything it takes to win. So you know what you guys do? He gets in here, you pat him on the back and say, congratulations and enjoy it. And tell him not to serve fried chicken next year. Got it? He snapped his fingers, started to walk away and then turned to deliver one last line. Or collard greens or whatever the hell they serve. Um, okay. So... Right. Can you imagine? I mean, well, let's go back because the Masters was played at a golf course that basically didn't admit anyone except white men for a long time. If you were a woman, you were out. If you were a minority, you were obviously not allowed to play. So this was sort of a changing of the guard. But that comment definitely, you know, reflected not just a minority viewpoint of Tiger's success at that time. So, yeah, I'm sure that it was in his face a lot that he was multiracial, that he was breaking barriers. But his silence or, you know, even more lack of any sort of outward statements about social justice, I think, has been really difficult for me to understand. Now, I have a question, slight bit of pushback, which we haven't discussed before, but 
Does that mean that if you're, because I know I hear so many times black people should not have to be held responsible for teaching white people about what it's like to be black. Right. Right. Not everybody who was born looking a certain way has to become an activist and talk about it all the time. And is it fair to assume that because you show up in a public role, you must step into that? And that's sort of the point I was trying to make earlier. I don't think Tiger has to be, you know, continually beating a drum for, you know, the fact that he's the sort of the representative multiracial person, the representative black man, the representative whatever, you know, part Asian guy in the room. But I do think that when he's not only he's had a lot of character issues in the past and he's pretty close or close enough with our current president who has a history of racism, misogyny, and bigotry, I think that's when it gets to be an issue for me. That's interesting. It's not that he has to be out there on the front lines all the time, but I do think as a public figure, you have some sort of responsibility to at least make things better for the people who come after you, make things better for the people who are your peers. And when you are not actively engaged in that or when you're staying silent, that to me sort of speaks volumes, especially if they're if you're going to be recognized as the greatest of all time and everyone's going to get behind you and you're being treated, even though you've had all these character issues in the past, as sort of the greatest in a way that other individuals who might be at the top of the game in their sports, arguably the greatest of all time, are not being treated. That's where I see the disparity. No, I see that. And I think the easy thing would be to stay silent and not have difficult conversations and not stand up to character. And obviously, this man, based on his past, at least had a period, if not however you want to define it, he has certainly had a period of time where his character was in question, where he did not have the moral fiber or the strength or whatever you want to call it to be that upstanding citizen and that role model in that sense. I mean, he hid all of this. So he knew it was right. Like, yeah. So maybe he doesn't have it in him. Maybe we can't expect somebody who is good at one thing to necessarily have that ability to also be a good human being. But then I think it's important for society to recognize that too, and maybe not glorify that as much, I guess, is what we're saying. Like, despite all of these flaws, despite his character flaw in the past or poor decisions, I don't know what to call that period of time for him. But then also to comment on his lack of leadership and even just standing up for himself as a mixed race man, basically that we should sort of check that. And even if we can't expect that of somebody, maybe we shouldn't idolize them in the same way. And we should be idolizing people who have more integrity and character and are trying to do the things that you said, like leave behind a better world for their people who are coming next and also people who are their peers. I mean, are there now more black golfers because he's been out there? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, maybe that's also partially due to Tiger not being that person for black golfers, you know, if that makes sense. Like he's, if you don't talk about race, right, effectively ignoring race or trying to be post-racial, then maybe you're not out there setting up what might work better. I know he has done work for minorities and that's not to say that he never speaks out. But I think that we were so quick to get over all failings when he won the Masters recently, whereas we've been way harder. And by we, I mean society as a whole on people who have been more vocal throughout their careers. Like, say, the other person we want to talk about. Right. 
like LeBron. So I think that LeBron has been a very open critic on social justice issues. I think back in February, he made it clear that when it came to social issues and the political climate, he won't keep quiet. He has a show now on HBO called The Shop, and he spoke out in that show and in talking about that show about societal issues and how it has had an effect on him, his life away from the court. He's admitted that he's lost popularity from speaking out on issues, but feels that he must do so because he has an opportunity to inspire others with his word. I did wonder, because I read up a little bit on this too, when he says he lost popularity, and then a lot of the, you know, media reports that I read were talking about how he lost fans. Like, what does that mean? Are people just not going to his games? Like, is that less followers on social media? People unfollowed him? Like, I don't know what that actually means. And is there a possibility that it's not just social, like his speaking out on social issues that is causing him to lose his popularity? Has he been a hothead? Has his, right? Like, I don't even know. There were some things that I read because I knew nothing about him aside from his school, which I did love. When I was doing research, I was like, all the articles talked about, well, you know, he proclaimed himself to be the greatest of all time, and you're not supposed to do that. He is such an ego or that sort of stuff. Is there possibly a different explanation other than he's speaking out about social justice issues? Is there something about him? I just don't know. I think that's a great question. And I think what's important to remember about LeBron is he joined the NBA when he was 18. So that's super young. And he has been, if, you know, there's people who argue that Michael Jordan is still the GOAT for the NBA. But LeBron, if he's not the GOAT, is one of the greatest. And I think that, yes, sure, he's made statements that are probably self-serving, but And, you know, he caught a lot of flack when he moved to Miami from Cleveland after not winning the championship in Cleveland and winning in Miami. But let's remember, he came back to Cleveland. He recognized that that was a media spectacle in Miami. He has done so much good for the community that he's come from. He has not left them behind. He has really used his voice on social media and otherwise to try and raise consciousness about issues. So in that level, I think that egos probably goes part and parcel with being so good at something. But to look at what he's done besides that, if that's it, then that's one thing. And that's very one dimensional. But he's not that person, I think. And and you've seen that from his school, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I think what he said very publicly you know, about what his role is as an NBA player. I think, you know, he's made very public comments about how he gets to be now an inspiration that kids are looking up to because he was raised off of rappers like Snoop Dogg and Tupac and Jay-Z and Biggie Smalls. And now he knows he has that power. And I think that's what's really important. He decided then that he was going to start speaking up and not care about the backlash because he had to shift that his whole mindset wasn't about me. So from the early days when he comes into the league as an 18-year-old to now where he's got a school, where he's, you know, he's rebuilt Cleveland in a way that makes it better for everyone who comes after him. I think that's really important. You know, I think that he realized that that was going to be a hit because that's not necessarily a popular statement. And it's probably not popular with people whose values or identities he's challenging the most, right? Yeah, yeah, that's probably Uh, true. It reminded me of that piece that the Utah jazz player wrote, the white... Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver, yes. Again, my 
endless knowledge of sports teams and names. <laughs> it's amazing. But it reminds me, like, so all of a sudden you had a white player commenting on the differences that he's observing and using his voice to stand up for colleagues and for what he perceives on the court as aggression and hostility from the audience who, and racism that he's seeing, right? So... Yeah. Well, I think one of the great examples of LeBron James doing this was at NBA All-Star 2018 in Los Angeles because Fox News host Laura Ingraham, who's come under fire a lot recently for various comments or all the comments, she criticized LeBron, who had been a three-time NBA champion at that point, for his recent comments about social issues and basically told him and others that their role as NBA players were to just shut up and dribble. So he had previously responded with an Instagram post containing similar sentiments and then actually recorded a video. And his comment was, we will definitely not shut up and dribble. I will not do that. I mean too much to society. I mean too much to the youth. I mean too much to so many kids that feel like they don't have a way out and they need someone to help lead them out of the situation they're in. So he made a video segment on Uninterrupted, which is a platform that he co-founded. He was joined by Kevin Durant another basketball player. I was wondering who he was. He's on the Warriors. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And both superstars were sharply critical of President Trump and the nation's racial climate, which is kind of a contrast to what Tiger had said in 2018. Same year. James referenced Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, and Jackie Robinson as athletes who previously spoke up for equality and change with really no concerns about the consequences were concerned about reaping any rewards from their actions. It reminds me a lot of because I've had conversations around like of celebrities who get to go testify before Congress or who get to be representatives for clean water or this sort of thing. We don't criticize people of Hollywood notoriety, for example, for standing up for causes they believe in, championing, using their influence to stand behind things that matter, that will improve the world. Even if it's PETA or whatever these things are, there's so many causes out there that, as you said, can leave the world a little bit better. And so it's interesting that, and I've been skeptical about that. When it first started, I think it's like been a recent trend where people are starting to use their platforms now that they have social media and all that sort of stuff to have this influence. So at first I was like, who are these people who think they can try to do this stuff or influence the government? But now I see a huge power in it because you do have that influence. You do have people's ear. You do have access that Joe Schmo from wherever is not going to necessarily have, but I don't feel like they got taken down or lost popularity for believing in causes or spreading their view on stuff. Whereas it seems multiple times in all sorts of places, LeBron James' popularity has fallen for standing up for what he believes in. Yeah. And I wonder if you take a look at the celebrities who have done that and who have spoken out about that, what race are those celebrities? I think that white. sometimes, yeah, white, right? And I think that it's very different when you have a white person speak in our country today, if you were a white person, white celebrity speaking out about social issues versus one who is not white speaking out about social justice issues that may impact a privileged group. That's interesting. Yeah, you're right. Right? Right. Well, Let's talk about LeBron's school for a second, because you said you followed that. And the New York Times wrote a really great piece on it recently on April 12th. Yeah. And the school is called I Promise. I don't know if you want to talk about it a little. Sure. I mean, I loved the idea of it, right? Because it's not a charter school or a private school, but it's a public school operated by the district. And it reaches 
a very wide range of diverse students, right? 60% Black, 15% English language learners, 29% special education students, and three quarters of the families meet the low income threshold to receive help from the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. So this is a school that he went back and built in Cleveland. And they do have a budget from the school district. So the school gets $2 million from the district, just like any other public school. But LeBron James's foundation provided about $600,000 in extra financial support for more teaching staff to reduce class sizes. They have more after-school programming and they have tutors. And the coolest thing that I thought about it was it actually really focuses on parents. And it, I love this, right? Like the community aspect and the educators there say that that's the key to its success. It covers the cost of all expenses in the schools. They've got a family resource center and it provides parents with GED preparation, work advice, health and legal services. And they even bring in a, like a barbershop every quarter. I mean, I think this stuff about caring for the family of the child that is attending is incredibly powerful because one of our favorite phrases, we rise by lifting others. And to create that community and support is huge. Yes, that community, I mean, it's invaluable. And that he recognizes it probably because he came from that experience is so key. Oh, totally. I mean, I think it's interesting that the kids were admitted through a lottery. They were the low performers, right? They were in the 10th to 25th percentile in second grade. I think is that sort of where they pulled the kids from as the kids who were deemed like they're going to not succeed kind of thing. And yeah, I think that I'm trying to find the stats, but basically it's a new school. So it's still in progress, but they were already showing huge improvements in their reading and testing scores just by being in the school for a year. And there's still so much more room to grow and go. But the point is they're doing a lot better already than people expected these students to do in their previous schools. Yeah, I think also what I loved about this is that all of the students in the program and the school who meet certain academic criteria will receive a full college scholarship to the University of Akron. So not only are they getting the kids who are probably most at risk or, you know, in that second grade window, low performers, who knows due to what, but they're getting them into this school, this learning environment, this public school, they're getting their parents hooked in as well to create that community. And then they're going to support them through sending them to college. I mean, how life-changing is that? Especially if you are the first in your family to go to college amazing. I think it is amazing. I love this quote about how he said that, right? He's, I had this vision of wanting to give back to my community. The people around every day are helping that vision come to life. And he said, half the battle is trying to engage them and show that there's always going to be somebody looking out for them. And it sounds like it was a really well thought out program that really is engaging the students and creating an environment where people are looking out for the students and for their families. I think it's incredibly powerful. And I think it's a shame that he's not, I mean, the New York Times article was incredible and he's doing the things we talk about, paying it forward in the, I don't even like that phrase so much, is like leaving behind a really powerful legacy that goes beyond his own skill on the court. Yeah. I think, again, this comes from his own experience because in fourth grade, he missed 83 days of school. He was one of those at-risk kids. And now he's LeBron James, you know, arguably one of the greatest NBA players of all times, if not the greatest. And so he recognized that there were so many people who helped him along the way. And to make it easier for people who come after him to do the same thing, I think that's what is a legacy, if not that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting to think about the difference in characters. And I want to just talk a little bit about how that shows up 
in social media? Like, how can you tell the difference with how these two superstars engage with their audience? How do you see the character? And I think you made the point. Tiger Woods tweets about himself, right? Yeah. LeBron James tweets about issues like police brutality. And we can talk about this specific example, but... There's that quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events, and great minds discuss ideas. And I think it's really interesting to look at people's social media feeds, maybe, of these superstars and see what's the ratio. I mean, I think we all talk about all these things at different periods of our life, and there are times for sure you need to talk about people, events, and ideas. What is the general trend? I wonder. I don't know for everybody. I I want to start looking at it more critically, I think. I know. I think because with especially public figures, there is an amount that you're going to tweet or, you know, Instagram or put up on whatever about yourself because you are a public figure. But I think what you do with the other influence that you have, which is not just limited to self-promotion, is amazing. I think there was the recent Broward County Sheriff's Office issue where they basically beat an unarmed boy who had picked up a cell phone that had fallen out of another 15-year-old boy's pocket while he was being arrested. And the video was brutal. And it reminded me of something that could be my son later and heartbreaking. And because they didn't arrest the boy, they couldn't charge the officers with anything. And LeBron, you know, immediately tweeted about that. And his reach is so large that to have a tweet like that and retweet other people's tweets, it just creates a ripple effect of awareness that this is still happening in 2019. And I think that shows character. And that goes back to that Eleanor Roosevelt quote about great minds and thinking about thinking bigger, right, than what is your immediate universe. So I think, you know, I understand wanting to get behind Tiger in this comeback, but what does that really mean? Who are we really supporting, I think? And I think, you know, for some black people, and this was another article on The Root that was like, black people, we need to get behind Tiger because he's one of us. And we need to take a, a W because, you know, being black in the United States is not easy. But is this really who we want to believe in? And, you know, not to go back, for those of you who are fans of The Chappelle Show, Sarah, I know that might not have been you, but it was me. And if you remember the race draft, black people took Eminem in the end, not Tiger. There was a reason for that. And I think that's kind of true now. I think we want to believe in him. And as biracial people, I wanted to believe in him. I'm sure you wanted to believe in him too, Sarah. But when people show you who they really are, it's really hard to get behind him. I think that matters as we go forward and we create our own personal circles because those are always like evolving, I think, as we think about bigger issues that we align ourselves with and then our voting power eventually too. Who are the people we can get behind and what are these things that we're using to identify why we would get behind them or why would we not get behind them? So yeah, it's, thanks for showing me that through sports <laughs> in I know. a way that I never would have <laughs> otherwise known about. Yeah, <laughs> But I think it's important to look at people who have influence and see how they use their influence. For sure. When does character matter? Probably always. Yep, always. If you love what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and review while you're at it. 
Also, if you're looking for some great email, who isn't, sign up on our website, dearwhitewomen.com, and get our weekly email every Wednesday that gives you special bonus insider tips. You can also find us on social media. Sarah, can you tell us where to find? Absolutely. On Facebook and Instagram at Dear White Women Podcast and on Twitter at DWW Podcast. Find us there. <laughs>